Some people said that the Christian life of following Jesus is an adventure. Well, it is, but Jesus is in the driver's seat, and that's what makes it the adventure, because he's going to take us where he wants to take us, to do what he wants us to do, and we need to rely on the person of Jesus. There's an unknown element in following Jesus. But the good thing is, Jesus is unchanging. He's someone that we can know and we can rely on completely. And disciples are going to be learning about this tonight and they're going to keep learning as we go through Mark about this. First of all, in chapter 6, verse 30, the apostles have gathered around Jesus. They've been out two by two. Uh, God's been using them as they uh, call people to repent. They've seen um, people healed and demons cast out. Great things have happened. They've come back all excited. They're telling Jesus about what's happened. They've been his representatives, sent ones. In fact, this is the third preaching tour because back in chapter 1, verse 39, firstly, Jesus goes out through Galilee and then in Mark chapter 8, verse 1, it records another time that they go out just before the parable of Sower and now this one after the parable of Sower in Mark, they're going on this third preaching tour. And the mission activity of the disciples has caught the attention of a large number of people. So look at verse 31. Then because so many people were coming and going, they did not even have a chance to eat. And Jesus said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. There was a vast crowd of people. It was chaotic. And they not only they just didn't have a chance to rest, they couldn't even eat. And Jesus showed compassion for his disciples. He, he knew that they'd been going hard when they'd been our mission. Now they're coming back and they really need to be recharged. He's, he understands that. So he says, come with me to a quiet place. Come on, let's go away. You need to rest. Verse 32, they go to a solitary place, a wilderness area where no one lived. No one lived there because it wasn't good land. All the good land people lived on, this would have been an area of land where you couldn't farm. It was bad land. So people didn't live there. They went around the, the, the uh, sea on the Galilee on a boat and when they arrived at the solitary place, look what happens though in verse 33. But many who saw them leaving recognised them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. It's interesting. I've never noticed this. I prepared this sermon. I read this passage just so many times. It's ridiculous. I noticed it was I was preparing the sermon. How did they get there? They didn't walk. How did they get there? They ran. Why say that? Why say that unless you saw it? Unless you saw this great crowd of people, and we see it's 5,000 people, thousands of people running, a great mob running around the lake. You saw that. It sticks in your mind. This is part of what we know as eyewitness accounts, little details like this that people wouldn't even think of putting in unless they saw it. And it's strange, it's peculiar. So these people are running. They want more of Jesus. They're desperate to have more and more of Jesus. Like that song we said, knowing Jesus more and more, they want Jesus. It's urgent. They're captivated by Jesus. When he sees them in verse 34, when he landed, he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them. 
He's had compassion on his disciples and didn't know they needed rest. Now he has compassion on these people. Compassion means that he cares. Compassion means that he knows and understands. Every person knows their needs and wants to do something for them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were just a mob of people running around. They didn't know where they were going. We remember that reading from Numbers when Moses is in the wilderness, another wilderness area like they're in here. And Moses prays that God will raise up a shepherd for the sheep. And we know Jesus is described in the Gospels as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So what did Jesus do? Here they are, they've all been running, they've come around to where he is, they were going to have a break, but at the end of verse 34, so he began teaching them many things. That's why he came. The importance of him coming was to teach the people that they might hear the message to repent and turn back to God and know how to live now as God's people. To a remote place, the disciples make a good observation. Look what they say in verse 45, verse 35. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came in. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can get, go to the surrounding villages and to buy something to eat. The disciples have just done something wrong. You see, they were right in saying this is a remote place and the people need something to eat, but they then put a solution there, didn't they? They didn't ask Jesus what he wants to do. If you're, if you're following someone, he's a leader, do you think you tell the leader what to do? You raise the problem with the leader. Hey, this is a remote place. People are hungry. We need to get some food. What do we do? That's okay. But they've gone beyond that. They've actually said, you need to send them away. You need to do this. And they're telling this to Jesus who they've seen do miraculous things in the past. Nothing up to now has been beyond what he can do. But they don't see that here. They forgot. They're asserting themselves. Maybe the success of the mission has gone to their heads a bit. Maybe they're thinking, oh, you know, we've just done this mission. We've just seen all these people respond. Maybe they're starting to assert themselves. Who knows? But look what Jesus, look how he responds. He doesn't sort of rebuke them. He says in verse 37, you give them something to eat. That's a challenge, isn't it? You give them something to eat. Come on, you've seen the problem? You give them something to eat. What a challenge. What a challenge to them right now. They say, they rightly say, that would cost eight months of a man's wage. The disciples are sort of suppressing their irritation at this point. Uh, We know in the Bible, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul writes that God's way can seem folly to natural man. God's way sometimes doesn't go right with us. And in fact, what's happening here is an illustration of a central stumbling block for Christianity that we all can be condemned by with the disciples. Because how often do we look to ourselves when something's not right rather than look to Jesus? How often do we get anxious and worried and fearful when something's not right rather than pray to Jesus and say, help me, what do we do? I don't know about you, maybe, maybe it's me. I can tend to do that quite easily. I've actually got to stop myself from doing that. What about you?
They've been commissioned by Jesus. And maybe at this point, they're still thinking of Jesus. They know Jesus is a, a mighty man who God is working through, but maybe that's the problem. Because maybe they think this is a man God is working through as a miracle worker, as a prophet, as a teacher. But they're really still only thinking of Jesus as a man. We'll see that later on. It takes them quite a while to realise he's God. In fact, for most of them, it doesn't come right to the end when he rises from the dead. Once he rises from the dead, everyone says, yes, he's God. But they're still struggling with that. Because they got, they got born to, to understand God is in heaven, doesn't come down to earth. God, yes, God works in people, but God doesn't come down. If you meet God, it's when you die. And that sounds fair enough. And they're stuck with that. And it's hard to move beyond that. And so there's a problem here that if Jesus was God, it wouldn't be a problem. But for the disciples, it is a problem because they don't see his God. And he's quietly reminding them. He's reminding them in this situation, they've just done the mission, they've seen God, uh, Jesus at work or God at work through them. And now he's reminding them, doesn't matter what problem comes, even if you didn't cause it. If it's an emergency not of your making, by offering it to Christ, he can use it to please himself. So surrender it to him. Look what happens then. They're pondering, you you give them something to eat. They say that would take eight months' wages. Um, Then in verse 38 he says, how many loaves do you have? He said, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. What's he do then? He directs them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Oh, what's that? Notice green grass. We're in a wilderness area. We're in an area where people don't live because you can't really farm there. We're in a a deserted, deserty, rough place to live and there's green grass. You know, the person who saw this, that stands out because you don't expect to find green grass in a wilderness area where there's no farmers because the land's so rough. And it's 5,000, it's not one tuft of grass, it's 5,000 people. There's a fair bit of grass. And so someone actually saw this happen. It adds a lot of credibility, that running in this green grass, add real credibility. This is not a made-up story. Someone actually saw this happen. And we know it's Peter, who Mark is the secretary for. There's a problem here for the disciples too because their faith is now, they've had the challenge of you provide it for them and, and now they've got a problem because now they've got to actually risk their faith because they, if they obey Jesus and get the people to sit down, well, they're not going to go away to get food, are they? So if they get them to sit down and they're actually going to get them to sit down in these groups of 50s and 100s because God's a God of order and that's what God told Moses to do back in Exodus in the wilderness area and God wanted these groups and it's very structured and ordered. But once they do that, the disciples are really committing themselves to provide food then and there, aren't they? And they have no idea where it's coming from. So now their faith that's been challenged by Jesus, you provide it, now they've got to take a risk and trust that Jesus is going to do something here, don't know what. But he's going to do something, so they have to trust him and get the people to sit down and wait. 
Can you imagine being a disciple? Yeah. What's going to happen now? What are we going to do? Yeah, we've only got five of this and two of that. Not even enough for one person. What are we going to do? Can you imagine it? Look at Jesus in verse 41. He knows all this is going on. What does he do? He takes the five loaves, the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And he gave them to the disciples set before the people. He divided the two fish among them all. It reminds us what's going to happen in the Last Supper in, Matthew, in Mark 14 where Jesus is going to break the bread. And he says, uh, this is my body which is broken on the cross and you're to feed on that. It's almost a reminder of that happening here. They give the food out. Uh, everyone has their full. You know, we read down it's 5,000 men eat. That's a huge amount of people. They all, have, they all eat as much as they want. They're full up and actually there's 12 baskets left over. I thought, Baskets, they must have been baskets that had fish in you. They must be big cane baskets. Wrong. Um, someone told me that the Jews used to have a little bag on their hips and it was uh, about, um, about the size of what we, modern day we call it a bum bag, you know, where you just carry a few things in it. And they'd carry some food in there, like some food for lunch and a few other odds and ends. And it was just a little bag they used to carry. And that's probably the 12 bags. Maybe it's the 12 disciples' bags that they had left over. But the thing is, there was enough for all and there was a surplus. When God provides, he, you know, he provides enough and more than enough. He's a generous God. And even though there's a divine provision here to 5,000 people, more than enough, there's no mention of any amazement by the disciples or by the people. It's interesting that didn't happen. What's going on? In Mark's Gospel, we're seeing Mark tell us or ask the question, who is Jesus and confronting us with Jesus? And we're seeing Jesus more than a man because every time we turn a page, we're seeing Jesus do some miraculous thing. We're seeing him teaching, calling people to repent. We see he's, he's, he's more than a man. Mark's confronting us that Jesus is God-made man. And that's a game changer. That is huge. And we see in this story, Jesus is a shepherd who has compassion on his disciples and these people. He's a shepherd who really cares about people, knows and understands about people. That's why he came. He came to teach and, and draw people to God, but ultimately to give his life. So what about us tonight? What about us here? Now, we can be like the disciples, can't we? You can fall in that trap of, of something happens and it's not what we planned. It's uh, suddenly come up. And what are we going to do? Are we going to get upset and worried and anxious? Because as soon as we do that, we stop following Jesus. We stop relying on him. Or are we going to say, hang on a minute. I follow Jesus. I'm going to pray that to the Jesus. I'm going to seek Jesus as to what I do. I'm going to use my best ability and other people to, to solve this and just see how it goes. But I'm not going to get anxious or worried. I'm not going to let the problem... Take over running my life. I follow Jesus. It's damn hard, isn't it? It's easy, isn't it? To let the problem take over and not keep focusing on Jesus. I find too that when things go wrong like that and, and uh, something and this morning we had problems at 9 o'clock service with computers and memory sticks and whatever, whatever. 
Anyway, it's sort of, you think, oh, no, we're going to be late starting. Oh, no, I'll just pray about this. I've got to remember the sermon. I've just been thinking about it. Let's pray. Let's go and get the com- my computer. Let's go and get the memory stick. That didn't work. Let's do this. Anyway, put it all together. At one minute to nine, we're ready to go. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> That's how it works. Things are going to go wrong. Things are going to send to test us. But you know what? Every time I find there's a test come, and every time a test come, I start to think the wrong thing or start doing the wrong thing. Hang on, no, I shouldn't do that. I follow Jesus, I've got to pray. Or sometimes I go further down that road before I realise I'm not doing the wrong thing. But you know what happens in the end result is? I see Jesus as God. I see that I can pray to him and he either fixes up the problem or he helps me endure it or he brings someone else to help solve it. But either way, the big problem isn't so big anymore. And we need to be people who take that risk of faith because when, when the disciples rightly point out there wasn't enough food, and what do we do? Panic stations, what do we do? And Jesus got them to sit the, sit the people down and then they were all waiting for food. And the disciples did that. They took a risk in trusting Jesus because that's what he told them to do. And you and I take risks because Jesus told us to go out and tell the world about him. That's a big risk, isn't it? And we take that risk every time we try and talk to people about Jesus. And I find that every time I get that test of faith comes, as the disciples have here, that test of faith. It's an opportunity to, in, in our minds to reaffirm who Jesus is. He's not a man. He's not a miracle worker. He's not a great teacher. He's not a great prophet. He's God. And he can't just do some things. He can do whatever he wants. And it's a great reminder, isn't it, when our faith is tested, to remember that. And therefore, how do we follow? We can follow him completely. We can trust and rely on him because he's he's the greatest. He reigns. Nothing is a trouble to him. We can have such confidence and trust in him. Nothing matters. Nothing can unsettle us. And you know, I was thinking about this too as I was preparing this. We're all working or moving towards the greatest problem in our life. One day this body I have is going to stop. One day your body is going to have stopped. You know, one thing I can guarantee to you, you're going to die. It's up to all of us. And people think, oh, no, I'm going to die. That's horrible. No, for a Christian, it's not. For a Christian, you're going to go to heaven, that perfect place. It's going to be freedom. Don't hurry it up at all. You're not allowed to do that. But it's good. But between now and then, we need to have our growing faith. A faith that will keep getting tested and grow and tested and grow so that we keep seeing in the world what's important. Not a car, not a house, not all these other things in our world, not jobs. But in the end, what's important is Jesus. He's the most important thing because at the end, when this body stops, only Jesus is going to matter. And Jesus is going to be there to take us home to be with God. So life is going to be a test of our faith, a refining of our faith, a strengthening of our faith, that we get to know Jesus more and more and more and rely on him more and more and more.